Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we discuss the greatest meta-horror movie ever made, Scream. We dissect just how deep the film's meta-commentary goes and what its message has to say ultimately about the genre, about media, and about our individual growth as human beings. Chris! Chris! Oh, oh God. I can hear the blood pouring from your guts. <laughs> uh, it's squelchy, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty rad actually that's some nice movie magic you got going there i i know you you have a side hustle as a special effects director so this is impressive yeah you know special effects all the time they call me chris fx lambert yeah and what'd you i mean i'm not trying to get a performance in one of your movies or anything but what did you think of my acting oh you're acting you nailed the part of the guy who pretends to care yeah i that is 90 percent of acting <laughs> Just pretend to care. Which, which makes you wonder if the better somebody is at acting, like, are they more of a psychopath? Can they tap into something that's really quite dangerous? I think probably yes. Daniel Day-Lewis must be a serial killer then. Yeah, they use their power for good, you know? I guess so. I, I guess that's the other way to think about it. Maybe he's, like, really good at persuading some politician to not be a jerk. Exactly that. Exactly. Or, okay. you know, maybe he goes to local Dairy Queens and just gets free blizzards all the time by turning on the charm. Uh, now you say that out loud. And to me, that is absolutely the most useful way to use that power. <laughs> like, that's the most good you can do in this world. You know how with the, the blizzards, they're supposed to flip it upside down to show that it doesn't fall out? I do know that. Uh, the other day, you know... <laughs> Sometimes I still like to go to a Dairy Queen if I drive by one. Uh-huh. And sure. uh I drove by one and I stopped to get a blizzard and it had a lid on it and they still did the turn upside down. Huh. It's like it's it not impressive. The, it has the lid. What are you what I, are we doing? They, so here? they still do it. They still do it. Interesting. I regardless of the lid, I thought maybe that would just be a practice. You couldn't pay some kid enough money to like turn it upside down every time you give somebody a blizzard. I mean, the times that I've had blizzards in Texas, they've all done it. Well, I guess that's true. You're in Texas. Everybody's so polite down there. It's polite to flip the blizzard. <laughs> I never thought of Texas and polite going together in the same sense. Yeah, that's Southern politeness. That's true. That's true. It's it's not the case in Chicago. Oh, no. That's very different, isn't it? Everyone's, I, 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 th I will say everybody's nice, but I wouldn't say everybody's like polite. In Minnesota, everybody's polite. <laughs> Like, it's yeah. annoying how polite they are. Everybody in Chicago is, like, <laughs> nice to you in a reasonable way. That's good. Do you think they're fans of Scream? 
Hmm. I mean, it's a Midwestern movie right there, so I think so. Is it a Midwestern yeah. movie? It, it, it seems like it's set in a Midwestern kind of town. It's Woodsboro, California. It's California. Of course, it's a... I say that, and I, as I'm saying it out loud, of course, it's California, because that would... Com- that lines up completely with the themes and in the movie, you know, Scream 2 set in Hollywood and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you're right in that it has that small town yeah. feel to it to where I remember seeing this movie for the first time and feeling it felt very local rather yeah. than feeling like something uh, exotic in terms of being like set in Los Angeles. I, I think it's purposely giving off that feel because it's, it's like a, a, it's a callback to, so many Halloween kind of movies like the movie Halloween, which is set in Haddonfield. And it's, it's a completely Midwestern movie. I feel like a lot of the movies back then were set in small towns um, and just kind of had that Midwest feel where like everything like should be safe. Like you would never get attacked here, but there's like a lunatic on the loose. Yeah. In this case two. <laughs> and scream uh, six there's three of them not to spoil that movie yeah there's so many they just keep multiplying like i want one movie where everybody is the killer <laughs> and they're all like doing it to each other i mean the the scream movies are meta enough that that would work that would actually be you're funny. the killer you're the killer wait no i was the killer they both show up to kill somebody at the same time and end up trying to kill each other. Wow. Yeah, that would be very meta. Yeah. Okay. Let's write it. <laughs> so when like, when did you watch Scream for the first time? Man, I, I can look this up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have this. You have this data. Uh, why don't you start while I look it up? So I remember the trailers for the movie. Uh, back when it was 96? going to be in theaters. Yeah, so we're talking wow. 1996. Um, You're I a little 10-year-old boy. Nine, yeah. okay. I was nine, about to be 10. February, I would have been going 10. on 10. <laughs> and I remember it being this movie that felt very forbidden to me. I don't know why. It was something to where I had already seen a number of R-rated movies, like, Terminators, RoboCop, Predator, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, Aliens. I had watched all of those, but there was something about movies that were in theater that I wasn't getting to see them right away. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't like the local Canal Fulton video store was getting the movies in right away. So even though I might have been able to rent the movie at some point, it still would have taken such a long time for it to hit VHS and then for it to be available in the video store and for me to be able to rent it that I remember just being very curious about what the movie was and if like when I'd ever get to see it. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if I finally rented it or if it was a HBO thing as many of the movies that I saw uh, growing up were, Mm -hmm. but I remember the first time watching it and just how blown away that opening scene, (laughs) how blown away I was by that opening scene. I just, uh, I mean, imagine being like 10 or 11. I know it's impressive to people who (laughs) had horror experience and knew the genre, but even to me as like a 10 or 11 year old watching this movie for the first time and just being like, Oh my God, like whoosh. Oh, (laughs) 
It's impressive to me, and I've seen it like 10 times. Yeah, it's just so every time I watch the movie, I mean, I've watched it twice this year now, and every single time that opening scene just feels so dynamic and thrilling. So I remember that really standing out to me on first watch. I didn't necessarily understand all of the meta stuff that was going on. Right. But the big things were the opening scene and then the the twist of there being like both of them. Yeah. And me like slapping my forehead and realizing that's possible. Like what a <laughs> what a thing that it could be both of them. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> um so yeah, I I had no concept of this movie for I don't even know how long. Um I can't think of I couldn't pinpoint when I first knew about I guess you, everyone knows about Scream. Like, especially if you pay attention to movies, like, you know what Scream is. I think maybe just for a long time, I didn't realize Wes Craven was awesome. <laughs> like, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street as a kid. Like, that that's one of, like, my childhood movies. I don't know why. I was asking my dad about this the other weekend. I was like, Dad, like, did you watch the Nightmare on Elm Street movies with me? Because I have vivid memories of watching all those movies. And he's like, no. He's like, you just used to rent them from Blockbuster and watch them. <laughs> and, like, I wasn't a kid who watched scary movies. But for whatever reason, I liked Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but now that I'm saying this out loud, maybe Wes Craven just, like, he, he his movies have, they feel like adult cartoons, kind of. Like, they're really ridiculous sometimes. And then they get really heavy and dramatic. But they always have something ton in cheek about them. Like even the original nightmare on Elm street, like Freddie's laughing as he's killing you, you know? Um, <laughs> and scream has the whole meta element and you're just like, Oh, like, is it all like a joke? You know? Um, so I guess obviously like I always know about S- scream, but I don't think I knew Wes Craven enough to understand that like, Oh, it's like, it's a smart movie that does like interesting things for a while. I think it, I thought it was just, I know what you did last summer, you know? Um, yeah. which is more of a, nothing against that movie. It's fine, but it's just more of a straightforward slasher movie. Um, Scream is like doing very interesting thing requires like intellect <laughs> and for you to like stop and think about what it's doing. Um, and I'm not sure the first time I watched it, I even got that um, or that I was even, obviously you, you can get that about the movie. It's very meta. It's kind of obvious in it's meta-ness, but I don't know if I understood the depth of it for a while. Uh, according to my ratings log, I watched it on August 24th, 2012, which would have been the first time I watched it, uh, 16 years after its release. And I don't think I became a real fan of it until I'm looking here now. <laughs> I watched all of the the rest of the screen movies in August of 2018. And I really enjoyed all those. And I think I that was when I got into the screen movies. But I wouldn't say I became like, a gigantic fan of scream which i currently am until just a couple years ago i i don't i think it just suddenly clicked like what it was doing and how nuanced it was about the meta-ness and how much that helped develop its message and said really smart things like i just became an uber fan of this movie <laughs> which i guess there are a lot of uber fans out there and once i realized that i was like oh I'll, I'll be one of them <laughs> it's funny because i mean I I always think of this as a very Travis movie. Oh, yeah. Totally but is. When we first started talking, you hadn't even watched it. 
So yeah, no. That's, <laughs> that's kind of funny to think about. And that, we, we talked in 2010, right? Uh, 2011. Nine? Yeah. Oh, 2011. So it's funny to me that uh, I didn't know that was your history with the movie because yeah. I just would have assumed that it was something that you've always been fond of. Um, yeah. Or even on first watch, immediately were fond of. But the fact <laughs> that it wasn't until like 2018 that you were like, you know what? I'm a scream guy. I I don't think I became like a scream guy in my soul for many years. Like even back when I first started talking to you, I was still in like just in a I was a mess of a person like still deciding what kind of movies I like because you know early on like I watched everything I was like I gotta watch all the French New Waves I'm like I gotta like those um you just like watch all the different pockets of movies you're supposed to like but I wouldn't say it was until six five six years ago that I started becoming like a scream kind of guy like liking this kind of movie you know (laughs) and now it's just like all I want like I'm constantly searching for this like more meta Give me like, I love smart. meta. Yeah, absolutely. Like everything Jafar Panahi was doing, Abbas Kiarostami, like anybody who's going meta with their movies, uh, I, I just, I eat it up. Yeah. I uh, I didn't watch the franchise until this year. Nice. Um, and it was a roller coaster. <laughs> I watched that. For, I watched all the Scream movies and all the Fast and Furious movies this year. <laughs> oh, God. Deep dive. I know. Uh, I think the mm, I think the highs of the Fast and Furious movies were better to me than the highs of the Scream movies. But do you think, I think there's one even close to as good as the original Scream? No. Yeah, I agree. I, I enjoy them all, but I don't think they come close to Scream. Um, uh, Scream, Scream's really actually Scream Two's was my favorite. Scream Two's pretty good that that's the next closest one for sure yeah there was something about i feel like i've known scream for so long and i've seen it i mean i haven't seen it i don't think over 10 times but definitely more than five Mm -hmm. and there's there was something really refreshing about scream 2 to me and Hmm. the way in which it took the story and how big it kind of went uh sequels always have to be bigger right Mm-hmm. And just the way in which it, like the last act, kind of went a little haywire. Right. I liked the twist on the original concept. Um, but then three, four, five were all kind of meh to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, six was the one that I really like. I kind of really dug six. Well, you, as you were describing Scream Two, I was like, that's kind of what Scream Six did. Yeah, I think Scream Six. Was a, I get why people who really like the core of the franchise may not like Scream 6, but me. I'm not really attached to the core concept uh-huh. as so much as like the meta, like the core meta aspect of it. And sure. I think taking Scream in the direction of a franchise to explore like franchise horror is pretty fascinating. Sure. I like that. Yeah. Um, but the original still, from the filmmaking and the performances and a lot of the choices, yeah. I think the way in which they portray Ghostface still stands out. It's um, just perfect. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. It, yeah. It's absolutely everything you just said, like the performances, just like the way, the way each scene plays out, the way it's structured, all of the, like, it's not introducing too many ideas, but like, there's like, here are two or three things to think about in terms of like the meta-ness and like all those things help the meta-ness play out even better. Like... It just, the energy of the movie, the kills, everything just, it's such a classic. Like, it just, especially the opening scene. I mean, the opening scene, I remember on Twitter, a bunch of people were posting, like, what's the best phone scene in a movie? And I was seeing all of these things. <laughs> Nobody was saying Scream. And I was like, Scream? Scream has the best telephone scene ever made. Like, bar none, hands down. You can have something like that in your movie? Like, that's dope. And it opens the movie. It's not. Yeah. It starts there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the scene that jumped out to me this time or just one of the little things that I realized I missed because the first time I watched this movie this year, it was before watching all the other movies. So this is my first time going back to the original right. since catching up. And there's just that moment when Ghostface jumps out to kill the principal <laughs> and the principal goes to close the door and you see Ghostface kind of come out from behind it. And the way in which he has his arms up and out and the way the robes kind of flowing, mm-hmm. there's something very haunting about it. <laughs> something very ghostly, ghastly mm-hmm. that feels a little more Halloweeny, not in the John Carpenter Halloween right. sense, but just Halloween and that there's this person in a costume come to life doing something very supernatural and bizarre. I feel like in some of the later depictions of Ghostface, it's just somebody wearing an outfit. Uh But there are just a few moments here where they kind of mythologize it a little bit more or give it a little more of that sense of the ethereal, as you like to say. Yeah, I, I I do like to say that. Um, I I love that. I, to me, that everything you're describing, like that's Wes Craven. Like I, I, it's a little ridiculous to do something like that, but I think he likes to push those boundaries and be a little ridiculous and a little flamboyant, which I love. Like to me, he creates a world like almost like a dreamlike world that feels separate from what we're used to, um, in a way that. Speaking of the new screams, that that's really the reason I don't enjoy the new scream movies. I have nothing. I have no problem with the concept of the movies and like what directions they want to take us. To me, they're trying to ape 
the energy of a Wes Craven movie. And Wes Craven crafted something very unique and specific and very of him. Like it, it, it just his movies have a are a completely different reality. And that's where the screen movies exist. And I and I feel like um, I don't want to, God, I can't even say their last names, Bettinelli, Olpin, and Gillett. <laughs> like these guys are directed into new movies. I feel like they're all constantly trying to like capture that tongue-in-cheek, cartoonish, dreamlike reality in a way that like I just don't think ever quite works. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Like I, I love moments like that. Like the moments where Wes Craven makes it feel ethereal like something other it's it's just so amazing how many times he does that in scream yeah whether it's with Ghostface or just the the use of blood or the camera being closer at certain points uh, or just, just when little... things get like gritty and like actually kind of scary yeah it's cool i i feel like the other ones became a little too i mean because he directed three and four Oh, but there was yeah. something about three and four that felt a little too sterilized to me or a little mm. too slick. Well, he's In made plenty ways. of not so good movies. So, I mean, he's just prone to making not, not so good movies sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this one too, it seemed like kind of a perfect amalgamation or marriage between what Kevin Williamson was going for and where right. Wes Craven was at in his career. Like yeah. both were... I mean, Williamson was a complete unknown at that point. This but was his big break. Yeah, he was somebody that cared a lot about horror and didn't think that the slasher film had been done well in a long time. So, you know, write what you want to see. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and he decided to make the meta aspect of it uh, as a big part of it as kind of the the selling point, which is an interesting choice rather than just going the route of, I'm just going to make a really good slasher, what happens if I make a slasher about slashers? And Wes Craven at that time had had a few knocks and had initially not been interested in the film before uh, the haunting of Hill House fell through. And he decided to get into it because he had a lot to say about the genre and about people watching movies critics of films and it seemed like he was very motivated as well to do something with this and say something through this yeah i can see he was never this explicitly meta in his movies but that energy was always kind of there like the way he toyed with his characters say in like nightmare on elm street these kids who were like slowly learning about this thing and Freddy's like kind of coming at you. And it, I I do feel like there is an audience participation aspect in those movies. Like Freddy's like trying to haunt your nightmares. Um, there's something very naturally. Uh, there's like, I feel like there's a natural bond between a movie like that and scream, but scream allowed him to really dive into the weeds of it. And quite literally take the audience to be like you're part of like what you're watching right now and i think that's the genius of the opening scene like a it's beautifully done and beautifully performed like everything that happens in the open scene is incredible but the best part of it is it's you start in a horror movie it, it starts out meta in that way that like you're literally in a horror movie before suddenly like <laughs> 
the camera pulls out and it's like, no, like this horror movie you're just watching, like it's part of like a bigger thing and you're and the media is going to be involved and like observing this thing. And suddenly you're on the out of outside of something you were on the inside of already. And you're constantly like moving back and forth and like getting a media perspective and getting a film fans perspective and following a character who is supposed to be following all of these rules and tropes and stereotypes, but like is constantly fighting against them and trying to push back. You're watching the basically the the push and pull of being in a horror movie and watching a horror movie. And it's just so cool how seamlessly Wes Craven is able to do that. Obviously, the, the script had a lot to do with it, but the way like I feel like that could easily feel very choppy and obvious. And I guess it is kind of obvious in that, you know, the movie's meta, but it's not obvious in the sense that it doesn't feel to me, I guess the movie, I would say the movie's clear as opposed to obvious. Like it's clear that it's meta, but it's not done in a dumb, obvious way. Like you're actually like really invested in the meta aspect of it. And sometimes you really feel a part of the movie. Um, it's just so geniusly done. Yeah. That's the thing. Like knowing that it's meta is different than knowing what it's saying about the meta and i think that it's easy for people to be like oh it's a meta movie you know it's about horror movies and leave it at that Uh, but there's the whole layer of yeah but what is it saying about horror movies and what is it using that meta element to get into and that was the thing that jumped out to me the most earlier this year when i watched it was either i think it had been over 10 years since i had last watched scream so it had been a while but prior to that i hadn't had much relationship with media Mm -hmm. especially news media uh it wasn't something that i really started to pay that much attention to until weirdly the the duke lacrosse scandal Mm -hmm. it was the first time that i was aware of a news story that had nationally framed things one way (sighs) had gone so intensely in the scrutinization of the people that it had thought were guilty only to then a few months later have more of the details come out and everybody have to recant. Yeah. Right. And I think I was in college when that happened. And I had always had this notion that the adult world or the real world You know, when you're at that level of professionalism, (laughs) that there was a almost a perfectionism that was part of it. Like the quality had to be so high and so great. And that was one of the first times I kind of had that loss of innocence of being like, oh, no, they can be wrong. And that slowly (laughs) lifted the veil in the fact that so many of these companies and professionals and big name people mess up do the wrong thing like imperfections abound uh it's nowhere even close and i've been very interested in the way that journalism can take weird slants like that or affect people's lives and so Hmm. watching it this time that was what jumped out to me so much is what gail represents totally in this film because it's not just the layer of the horror aspect or the story of just you're dealing with a killer and it's not just the meta aspect of horror movies, but 
also the aspect of what role does journalism play in this and what role does infotainment play in this and the fact that we're now at a point where true crime is such an insanely popular genre Mm -hmm. in podcasts and books and tv and movies and all of it's kind of doing what gail did like most of these stories are about real people who have family that are still alive that hear these things become fodder for public consumption I mean, there's that show Sword and Scale that will play 911 calls from people. And it's just, it can feel very exploitive. Yeah. And having that element was something that I really appreciated and kind of blew my mind. And it made Gail kind of the most fascinating character in the movie to me, especially the fact that she goes through all of this. Yeah. Like in trying to tell the story, she becomes part of the story. And then still at the end of it, decides to report on it. There's something so... She's kind of us in a way. Yeah. Like, what do you do? And there's a part of it that can look at it as the glass half full that Gail has maybe learned her lesson. We know in future movies, not so much. Yeah. But you could maybe think that having gone through this, she could understand a bit more of where Sydney was coming from and why Sydney was angry. And maybe now she's going to level up her reporting and turn into like real journalism. But there's also the glass half empty version that shows that, or has the perspective that not even this life or death situation can stop somebody or stop the media from trying to exploit the situation. Yeah. I think that's, um, the beauty of the final shot because like i said the opening shot like in the horror movie middle section of the movie like you you're in the you're kind of like maneuvering in that in between space where like sometimes you're in the horror movie and sometimes you're in gail's perspective where you love the sensationalism and you love to see the blood and you're actively participating in the movie and then it ends with gail reporting on the situation she went through like if we say we are her like we're suddenly stepping out of it and like we're on the other side of this horror story now and we're kind of the the camera's panning up we're getting this like long view of the entire town of the the house where the the atrocity took place and you're getting this broad perspective of like now at the on the other side of it like where are we like what do we think about horror movies now and the fact that like people actually do get hurt like this does happen um how do we feel about the fact that we go to horror movies to watch people be murdered and we like the sensationalism um when we've actually been in the movie and gotten to know all of these characters and know all of their struggles it's just such a cool it's not a movie that has like necessarily a message or an answer or uh, it's not moralizing or anything. It's just a really interesting look at this kind of situation and why we watch horror movies. Like, I just think that's so fascinating as somebody who's never, I mean, I've thought about why I watch horror movies. There are a lot of reasons I like watching horror movies, but Scream actually forces me to sit down and like be more nuanced about it and think about my participation in something like, in something so horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean it's great it's a huge genre like it's maybe my favorite genre I spent all of October trying to find new horror movies what does that say about me that I, I like watching this kind of stuff I mean there is something 
fascinating about that and that's another one of the meta aspects right yeah. like what is it that's so enjoyable about this especially i think maybe that comes into play of the movies keep going as well and it's like how many times can the character get into this has a gale gotten tired of covering this <laughs> there's a a bit of a an evolution that goes on and i do like the fact that it's not necessarily like scream five itself but the fact that it kind of starts to position it as cyclical yeah and that you have this next generation that just kind of picks up where the previous one left off mm-hmm. um that's kind of the fandom for any genre movie right <laughs> you have right. new people come in bring their versions of it they idolize what came before or reject what came before and bring in new facets and new elements that's what when scream six when you have Ghostface wielding a shotgun yeah that was really cool to me <laughs> um I, yeah i yeah i i think a huge thing that scream has taught me about horror movies and i i really started to get into this when i wrote the movie guide for it on our site um is that a big reason I like horror movies and why I ultimately don't really have a problem. Like I, I, I don't moralize over a horror movie and like, how could you watch people be murdered? Cause I, I have, I have talked to people who think that, and I understand that. Um, but to me, uh, movies are beautiful in the way that they defamiliarize life, the way they take these universal truths and put them into, um, dreamlike situations, things that, uh, parallel reality in a way, but are this weird, obscured version of reality. And horror movies are just inherently, they are fodder for that kind of material. The, the, every single horror movie, you expect it to go to a crazy place that you would never want to be. And in this place, everybody's fears are attacked. Like y- y- you are taken, you are forced to experience your deepest, darkest fears. Um, you you are fighting for your life. You are in this situation where like you are forced to come to terms with like who you are and what you will do to stay alive. And I love that about Scream is that you you take this character Sydney, who is the prototypical female heroine. Like she's in the middle of a horror movie, and she and people are constantly telling her she's in the middle of a horror movie. Like the killer is talking about making horror movie references. Her friends are making horror movie references and they're saying they're theorizing like who the killer could be. And she's kind of stuck in the middle of it, knowing that there are certain ticks and rhythms she must go through um, in order to survive. And she's constantly fighting against that idea. She doesn't want to be in the middle of a horror movie. She doesn't want to be the girl that runs up. Like what kind of idiot runs upstairs when you're being chased by a killer? Yet she does it. Like she's constantly trying to not be the woman in the middle of a horror movie, but keeps getting pulled deeper and deeper into it. And to me, that's the real beauty of this movie is like, it's taking that aspect of a horror movie that makes it so relatable and so um eye-opening about life and putting you in the thick of it like putting you alongside sydney and and making forcing you to be this character who is trying to fight their way out of a situation that we have all decided like there's only one fate for you you will die at the end of the movie if you do all of these things but sydney is the character who says like no i don't want to do that like i want to live and 
I, I just think it's so empowering in that way. Like it's such a unique, empowering take on a horror movie to watch somebody know the way they're supposed to be, the way they're supposed to live their life and how ultimately it will come to an end and say no. Like that's such a, to me, that's, that's the way you should live your life. <laughs> like live the, your life the way you want to. Don't let anyone tell you there are rules and like what you should and shouldn't do. It's, it's such a, altogether it becomes this, it just becomes an extension, such a, just a unique way to do a horror movie. That's all it is. Like it, it just takes like the core concept of it, but blows it up to this crazy meta level and your participation in it is suddenly like so necessary. I, I think one of the things that I like about that direction is that so many of the horror movies, as you mentioned the defamiliarization that takes place and how well horror lends itself to metaphor or symbolism. Yeah. I, even going back to some of the original gothic books or horror books, Frankenstein, right? Mm -hmm. That was about the dangers of science and uh, not just the dangers of science and whether or not we should bring people back to life or reanimate, but the way in which people then respond mm -hmm. to this thing. Uh, it becomes totally. a... Uh, a mechanism by which to ask questions and explore reactions. Right. And I feel like so much of horror tends to get into the typical fear response of just, you know, I'm afraid of being stranded and the bad thing that could happen, or I have nightmares. What's the extreme version of having a nightmare? What's the extreme version of, uh, having to go knock on a strange house and <laughs> the person that opens it or anxiety and it follows how many horror movies are metaphors for grief yeah you know dozens too many I mean especially yeah especially in this uh, <laughs> art horror era that yeah, we're in A24 does nothing but that yeah it feels like it's become a little bit of low hanging fruit that I'm gonna have the monster represent grief we get it <laughs> Yeah, it's been done. And not not that I mean, there are movies that I really like. Talk to me was still like a cool movie. But as unique as it is in some of its mechanisms, the monster being a metaphor for grief or at least tangentially related to that, um, you know, it happens a lot. Yeah. So the thing that I like about what Scream kind of defamiliarizes is what you're saying, the rules that you're supposed to be going by, especially for a high school movie or a movie about high schoolers. Yeah. Uh, it was the main theme of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. The title across the Spider-Verse, you know, refers to the fact that you're going to travel to different dimensions in the Spider-Verse, but it also relates to the fact that there are canon events that are supposed to happen in each and every dimension, meaning that there are these rules that aren't supposed to be broken throughout the Spider-Verse or across the Spider-Verse. And the main character is pushing back against that notion that I have to let this happen. I have to let this person die or this bad thing has to happen because it's a canon event. And I kind of think Scream <laughs> is in a similar boat of these are the things that you need to do as a high school student. This is the direction your life is supposed to go. If you're not following the rules, you're going to be a burnout. You're going to fail. You're going to not get a job and live on your parents' couch. <laughs> Just yeah. all the things that you hear in so many high school stories, but it's defamiliarized 
through a horror movie and the rules of horror. So I think that's one of the, the subtextual things that isn't necessarily stated and maybe one of the reasons why this movie resonates with so many people because there is that notion of not following the rules and being okay or following some rules but knowing how to game the system and movies that are about gaming the system always tend to have a little bit of that uh, vicarious Mm -hmm. (laughs) fun to them I you know I was just deep in the weeds writing about Scorsese movies uh, and that's something that has made many of his villainous characters so appealing like the guys in goodfellas aren't good but they figure out the system they start winning at the system and there's something really fun about that Mm -hmm. even though you're not supposed to like these guys you still kind of want to be them in some ways because Mm -hmm. all of us want to beat the system Mm mm-hmm And so this movie finding a very unique way to go about the break the system, beat the system. uh, Not my horror movie. Yeah. Is, is really fascinating, cool, but also I think is one of the reasons why this appeals to people in a way that maybe the sequels don't. Right. I could see that. I mean, I, a lot in the midst of everything you were talking about i just have the simple realization that this movie is filled with interesting characters which is not always the case with a horror movie as somebody who loves horror movies i think a lot of the times um characters can just be service symbols or something you know or just like they're kind of faceless and that they're just there for a message or commentary or something like this movie's stuff full of people who are really interesting uh, and in their environment is constantly populated with imagery that helps their story become more interesting. Like Sydney, she's dealing with the death of her mother on the one year anniversary of losing her mother. And it's constantly reported on the television in front of her in a meta movie. <laughs> you know, it's it's and then she, you know, she uses a television to kill Stu at the end. There's just such a realization and catharsis with everything going on around Sydney, like all the props all of the motifs, um, everything being used to accentuate the, the meta-ness of the movie. Like it's contributing to a story, making her more interesting. And everyone else is just like inherently interesting because they're played so well by all of these characters. Like even Jamie Kennedy, like I don't even know Jamie Kennedy. I, I think everybody hates him, but he's fucking awesome in this movie <laughs> as the the horror know-it-all. Like everybody's just playing their role so perfectly. Um, which is one of the reasons I think maybe the new screams aren't as good. Like everybody in this movie is like fucking owning it, man. I just like, I love all the characters in this movie so much. I mean, yeah, they all kind of were unique at the time, I think, or felt very refreshing at the time. And even though you still were like, well, Billy Loomis and uh, Stu, like just feel like one of them's the killer, right? Mm-hmm. One of them's the killer. It's so kind of obvious, but they start playing with you yeah, and playing with that obviousness oh, yeah, to where it really lets each of the characters have this range of guilty, innocent, and then truly psychotic that is pretty fascinating to see. I'm getting and chills. It's always, it's always cool when you have the, 
the main character gaining um, confidence or gaining mm. what's the like becoming hardened yeah, in that way right. or becoming comfortable in the horror to where at first Sydney's very terrified and the moment she flips the script on them and you get that empowerment that's happening that's really cool too it gives her a character from just being like Laurie Stroud is or Strode is cool but also I don't think in the first movie all that dynamic um that's just trying to survive and manages to survive, which is fine. But is Sydney in this having that extra gear that she gets to go into because she's been hardened by her experiences, especially with the death of her mom already. Yeah. And you're seeing that even though there's initially that innocence, there was this hardness that's already there from what she's experienced that I think is pretty cool and dynamic. That, that whole hardness at the end, like that, that I, I'm getting, I said it, I'm getting chills as you're talking about it and thinking of it, how Wes Craven accomplished something like this. But the whole movie is Sydney caught up in a horror movie and going through like what she should and shouldn't do in a horror movie and feeling lost and feeling like she doesn't have ownership over her life and her identity. And in the end, that's how she takes control. That's how she grows. It's like she makes it her movie. She decides that she's going to make the rules. And that's what makes that line not in my movie. Oh my God. Like that is the greatest line of movie history. Holy shit. I'm, I'm realizing it right now. <laughs> like it, uh, th that journey is just so gorgeous. Like it can end right there and be done. Like there doesn't need to be any more screen movies. Like that's incredible. Main character syndrome. Sydney has. Yeah. Not in my <laughs> movie. Imagine if you just started saying that in your day to day life. Yeah. Just like, like that'll be a three ninety nine, sir. Like not in my movie. And I hand him a dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> right take the bag and go <laughs> right just like hey uh it's not my birthday today but can i get a <laughs> can i get a a free like dessert and they're like well no you just told me it's not your birthday and it's like but it is my movie <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy just looks at me and goes well not in my movie and then walks away <laughs> yeah that that's when it becomes a problem right once everybody starts thinking yeah. it's their movie which they kind of already do is it that is it that the uh some people do the beauty and terror of tiktok everybody thinks it's their movie it, yeah as we're talking about this i'm slowly realizing how many people think it is always their movie and always <laughs> their birthday yeah uh so is life who's Oof. your favorite character in the movie mm. i won't say sydney because that's too obvious i guess she is my favorite um but i really like i'm i was sitting here as you were talking about billy and stew that is such an awesome part of this movie that they are actively toying with us that's the again the meta-ness of this movie that really makes me like billy as a character that he is a deeply troubled kid uh parental baggage is like such a huge part of this movie through Sydney, of course, but then we learn later through Billy, like that's his entire motivation is the baggage he has from his parents and like who he blames for it. There's just so much going off his character and Skeet Ulrich is so awesome. I, uh, I, I haven't seen a lot with him and I feel embarrassed saying this, but I, my wife and I did watch Riverdale for a while and he's awesome in that. Like, I just love anytime he's on screen. Um, so maybe Billy's my favorite. 
<laughs> I I just am shocked over the Riverdale uh, revelation. Man, I love everybody that we haven't even talked about. Dewey. Oh my god. I I go back and forth on Dewey. There's sometimes I'm like I do like Dewey, and then a lot of the time where I'm like, ah, maybe I don't like Dewey. <laughs> I don't think anybody in that town likes in Woodsboro likes Dewey. It's I think it's more of a David Arquette actor thing. I uh-huh. feel like I, I like David Arquette's and David Arquette, the wrestler was a lot of fun too. Um, but there's something about his characters and films that I'm often just like, Oh man, David Arquette's just being David uh, Arquette. Really? I guess I don't know him that well, but man, Dewey's perfect. I, I wouldn't change anything about his character. Eh. Um, I do find Ga- uh, like Gail very fascinating. I think she's the character that fascinates me the most, but I also find her incredibly infuriating. And every yeah. time she gets punched in the face, I'm like, yeah, she, she deserved it. That's part of like the fun of her character is she almost knows she should get punched in the face. Like she's such a such a pain in the ass. Uh, but you also like really like her for that. She does the right thing at times, right? But she always backslides into being yes. such a. But piece of shit. But there's that's like a classic character. Like I don't know why this is the one I'm thinking of. I don't why this has come into my mind. But um Miles Teller's character in the <laughs> Divergent movies. Like he plays that like asshole character who's like sometimes on your side and helping you, but he will undercut you and turn his back on you if someone else offers him a good deal. <laughs> I have not <laughs> seen the divergent movies i was trying to think of somebody from like the harry potter movies that would be a better example but i couldn't think of anything yeah uh that's fine that's fine um what did that oh drew barrymore also uh, incredible like we all know drew barrymore is very charming but there's something about the performance she gives in the phone call it's just kind of like a master class in a character like a sh- a short film character arc yeah and escalating from just this place of calm and comfortable to truly terrified and horrified the amount that she gives us in the brief amount of screen time is incredible yeah incredible performance I, yeah it's it's funny thinking um we just covered donnie darko recently and she's like very calm cool and collected in that movie but it's, it's still interesting but isn't like flamboyant necessarily but in this she she's like all over the place like it is a kind of master class and showing like the kind of range she has like she can be just like conversational and um flirtatious and then going from that extreme to the other extreme of like uh completely terrified screaming like i everything about that opening yeah you're right it's just crazy good (laughs) Um, what was the last thing that made me think of eh. that you like Lee oh. Schreiber and when she was in the movie more? No, the uh, the thing that always stood out to me when I f- like from the time I first saw this movie was that the scene, the opening scene, did it just end when Ghostface got to her? I feel like that's the place where most screenwriters or filmmakers would have ended the scene. Mm-hmm. The fact that you have the parents come home just a little too late and the fact that they pick up the phone and hear the gurgling on the phone yeah. and hear <clears throat> everything on the phone is just 
that was the thing that made me realize I was watching something just truly next level. Though how he gets her up into that tree so quickly. <laughs> well, now you're going down a road. Obviously, they defy the rules of reality there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love the use of telephones in this movie, man. It's so cool. Like, it's used in such a unique, interesting way that they toy with people on the telephone and that it's what allows them to have, like, two killers and, like, be in multiple places at once. It's kind of obvious, I guess, in that way when you say it out, like, oh, yeah, of course. But the way they do it is just... Again, like I think of Wes Craven, like an adult cartoon. Like it, it's done in this very fanciful, ridiculous way that's so entertaining, so fun to watch. Uh, favorite scene? If I'm not going to say the opening scene, um, I guess the opening scene. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the opening scene's so good. That is fine. Uh, yeah, it's the opening scene. I think I'd go opening scene. Uh, I always liked the robe going on in the bathroom stall. That was yeah, but that scene doesn't have much to it. No, like she just runs just, out of the bathroom. Yeah, it's just a moment that always kind of stood out to me. It, actually, um, this last time I watched it, I did kind of wonder if that's a moment that's not even real, like she's just starting to see this killer pop up around her because if that guy was really in the bathroom, like wouldn't someone run in there and find him or like, would he come running after her or something? Yeah. Does he just immediately go back into the stall and take it off and leave? And how did whoever this is pull something like that off? Like how did he know that she was going to be in the bathroom at this time? So mm, now you're asking the me questions. Yeah. But that to me that that I don't look at it and go like, oh, that doesn't yeah, make doesn't sense. Matter. Like I just like that uh, to me is just in her head or something. She baseball slides under the sink. Yeah. Um, okay. Rankings. That's right. I got to pull them up really quick. Okay. I, uh, I can go first. You want to explain the rankings? Yeah. So these rankings aren't, Ever, like every movie we've ever seen. Uh, Travis started his list at the beginning of 2022, and I started mine in July of 2022. So it's every movie we've watched since then. I'm currently at 163 movies. Um, I haven't put Killers of the Flower Moon on here yet. Ooh, I watched a lot of movies in the last week. Let's see. What is mine up to then? Oh, yeah, I got a lot to add. Holy shit. I think my list is up to like 470 something. Like 473. <laughs> yeah. And Scream is high on that list. <laughs> where's it uh, Where's it go? It is number 27. Um, let me give you the sandwich here. So we got Malignant on top. I love Malignant that much. Um, There'll be Blood, then Scream. Then Donnie Darko, then Drive. Wow. It's a who's who of what's what. Yeah. It's a number of movies that we've covered. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Malignant and There'll Be Blood are next. Nice. 
Um, I have it at number 29. Okay. In the impressive category. Nice. Um, which is my like tier three. So mm-hmm. colossal, amazing, impressive. Uh, I have it below Scream 2. So above it, you won't like this, but above it, I have Hereditary screen in Scream 2. And then right beneath it, I have Killers of the Flower Moon and Die Hard. Okay. Chris, I enjoy that you enjoy Hereditary. <laughs> it's a nice way of... Uh, what you had mentioned... Uh, Texas politeness like that southern politeness of saying like bless your heart (laughs) that was just the midwest equivalent of bless your heart pretty much Uh, I like when you enjoy yourself yeah you know does things that I like (laughs) oh man and scream for me is that's tier two like it's one I have like my all time favorite like that's up top but then it's in the next category down near the top of that category. So like it's at pretty much the top of my list. Nice. Yeah. I mean, 27 out of like nearly 500. Yeah. It's pretty good. I, in my mind, I was thinking like, should it be higher than that? But I'm looking at all the movies higher than it. And I'm just realizing, man, it, it, it's in good company. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. But I mean, that's how I felt. Like I was just looking at where to put killers of the flower moon. I was like, it's impressive, but did I like it more than this? Did I like right. it more than this? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Scream to me is in this like transcendent category where I'm like, these are these are the movies just doing something like next level, exactly what I want movies to be doing. So if it's anywhere in the realm of this category, it's it's doing something fantastic. Beautiful. And what is the next movie that we will be covering? What indeed? <laughs> I um, I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Ah, uh, me, little old me. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, we could do. We talked about Shutter Island. We did talk about Shutter Island for this month. This last month, I'm looking the the top. Ones on the site, After Sun, Past Lives, Prisoners, Banshees, Wailing, Hereditary, Perfect Blue, Blade Runner, Under the Skin, Shutter Island. Yeah. I guess at some point we have to talk about Hereditary. We didn't do a podcast on it, did we? No, we did not. Oh, man, that would break you. I am committed to the show, and anytime I'm asked to watch a movie, I will watch it. So I... to be honest, I I would well wouldn't mind watching it again to see if I get something more out of it. I don't I don't enjoy hating a movie this much, but <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll didn't see. You, didn't you just watch it and rewatch it in the last year? I've I've definitely not rewatched it, um, but I would say I watched it. I think I watched it close to the beginning of 2022. Okay, uh, would you like to do Midsummer instead? <laughs> I have never seen Midsummer. Yeah, would that be would that be a little more interesting for you? Um, yeah, sure. Maybe that would be a good indication of whether or not I I could watch Hereditary again. <laughs> yeah, let's do that then. Because <laughs> I have, uh, I guess you could. This could be a small preview of this conversation, but Hereditary, 
this is really isn't fair. What I'm about to say is not fair. Do not put any stake in this. But when I watched Hereditary, Ari Aster did things that made me wonder if like I could ever. It made me question him as a human being. And, and it made me wonder like I if I could ever like a movie from him. Fascinating. Okay. It's it's really curious to hear you say that as somebody that was earlier saying that <laughs> people ask you how you could watch horror movies yes. when people are killed and really enjoy it. Yes. To then have the feeling of another horror movie of being like that was so over the line. Yes. I don't think I could ever. It, that's a great preview for it then because that's a, a great segue into why I feel so strongly about Hereditary. Huh. Well, we'll uh, we'll test the waters with Midsummer and then see where we land. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm interested to watch it, though. All I hear about this movie is that it's crazy, so. I'm, I'm really, like, I'm kind of fascinated to see what you'll think. I don't think it's all that crazy. It has a couple moments where you're like, oh. <laughs> but, like, doesn't Hereditary have those moments? I think Hereditary is a little more unique. Okay. Um, or like, you know, do you know the basic premise of Midsummer? Uh, something about a, I know there's a breakup, but beyond that, I really don't under, know what the plot of the movie is. Oh, so you don't know anything like what the Midsummer refers to? I have like no any... idea. Oh, I've seen people dress gonna... up on Halloween as characters from Midsummer, and I don't know what that means. Okay, then I'm not going to say the thing that I was going to say. You'll just have to turn into next episode for me to reveal what that was. It's it's a horror movie, too, so it, it fits into my uh, October lineup. Yeah, perfect. All right. All right, let's do it. Ari Aster, I'm coming for you. First, it was Damien Chazelle. <laughs> then it was, who else do I not like? Christopher Nolan? I don't know. We're just we're just going through your rogues gallery. <laughs> Who's the other one? I hate God. Anyway, whatever. We're coming for you. <laughs> one of us. One of us is. <laughs> yeah, just me. I'm okay being the one. <laughs> All right. Um, but we do have to end things. And we have to do everybody's favorite part of the show. Everybody's made it all the way to the end so they can hear this. And we're going to nail it this time. All right. You ready? Whoa, did you hear that? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Lights? Camera? See ya. See ya. Oh, that was God. terrible. Ugh.